Hello and welcome to Plastics News Radio. This episode is one of a series we recorded on location from the negotiations for a global plastics treaty in Paris. I'm Steve Tolikin, your host and a journalist at Plastics News. We went to the talks because this treaty could have a big impact on how we manufacture plastics, how we use it, and how we deal with its pollution. Over the next 18 months, diplomats from more than 150 countries will try to reach an agreement. In Paris, I talked with both industry and environmental groups about what they want. In this episode, we hear from Graham Holder, the head of Seaflex, a European industry group trying to make flexible packaging more recyclable. They want the treaty to include extended producer responsibility policies for packaging and global standards for recycling. Okay, we're here now with Graham Holder, who is representing the European flexible packaging organization Seaflex. Uh, Graham, thank you for being on the podcast. You're welcome. Um, could you start by telling us briefly about Seaflex and what your goals are for this session? Um, obviously, there's diplomats from 170 countries gathering here, 1,700 observers like yourself and NGOs. So, what are the goals you bring, and uh, can you tell us a little bit about Seaflex? So. Seaflex is a uh, project which started about six years ago, um, looking at how we make all the materials that are used in flexible packaging circular uh, so that they can be returned to the economy. And uh, it's a European-focused project. And the reason why we're at the, uh, uh, the global treaty meeting is because we've realized that the, uh, there is no global flexible packaging organization uh, who's engaged with making these materials circular to represent uh, the industry. So uh, we were asked to uh, step up and share some of the knowledge that we've gained over the last six years in terms of how we make these materials circular. Uh, it seems like you have a couple of points reading through the filings you've given to the UN and some of your, your negotiating, some of your position points. Um, you have a focus on, you'd like to see the treaty have globally harmonized design standards for recycling, recyclability, and a legislative based framework for extended producer responsibility. Um, can you talk about those two points and are there other key points? Sure. Um, to what we've realized uh, over the last uh, six years is that there are four key enablers that uh, you need to have in place to support the circular economy. Uh, the first one is design, because uh, if you design it correctly, that determines what it costs to collect, sort, and recycle it, what it beca can become end of life. That's why we're very keen to have global design standards uh, accepted as part of the, uh, the treaty, uh, because trying to design for one country versus another country doesn't work, especially when we, uh, a lot of these, these packs are, are sold identical packs are sold in, in, in countries next to each other or within the region. The second one uh, is legislation. Uh, you need a legislative framework to, uh, to create the level playing field so that everybody understands the rules of engagement. So if a, a, a brand owner wants to do the right thing and invest in uh, recycled content, for instance, uh, and his uh, colleagues, uh, the other companies in their sector don't follow, they're going to pay more for the solution uh, and they can only afford to do that for so long before the accountants say well actually so far no more let's go back and, and make sure we're still competitive so the legislation sets that level playing field so that uh, good actions are hopefully rewarded the implementation of the level playing field is extended producer responsibility which is okay how much does it cost 
to s collect, sort and recycle this. What kind of uh, recycling, recycled mix do we need in terms of the qualities? So they design the system that supports the uh, meeting the legislative framework. Uh, they also uh, have to have enough money in the system to make sure that that's possible. Uh, and the money comes from the EPR fees, which the brand owners and retailers pay when they place the product onto the market. Uh, then the fourth enabler is to make sure that everybody understands the model and their role in it so that we're all going in the same direction. If people are going left, right, backwards, forwards, it, it's very difficult to build the critical mass needed to, uh, to realize the circular economy for flexible packaging. So that's why we, uh, we, we've included those three asks of the treaty. Okay. Um, the treaty discussions themselves are very broad. Um, obviously, you're getting into there are issues and concerns around public health with plastics. There's issues and concerns around chemical additives, um, fence line communities, uh, the informal uh, recyclers, the waste pickers. Many, many topics are being discussed here. Um, are you or is CFLEX concerned at all about the treaty um, limiting flexible packaging? Um, and how, uh, maybe a second question, how do, do you see any of those health issues relating to, uh, to the flexible packaging industry? Let me deal with the second question first because it's not an area that CFLEX is particularly expert in. Okay. Uh, we do know that uh, all the flexible packaging placed onto the market uh, complies with food safety legislation. Uh, and if it's good enough to eat, one must uh, assume that uh, uh, there are limited uh, issues in terms of the chemical leakages and other things like that. Um, where these are identified, like uh, PFAs and things like that, uh, they are increasingly addressed by the industry um, as soon as they become an issue. So uh, that's not an area that CFLEX is particularly uh, uh, positioned to, to, to comment on. Um, where we do have concerns, and your first question is, this is a huge space and uh, uh, it's very easy just to get lost in the, the discussions related to health, leakage, uh, chemicals, uh, all these kinds of things. And, I, and especially underprivileged communities which uh, need also to be recognized in terms of the role that they play in many parts of the world in, in collecting these materials. So while we think these are very important discussions to be had, they need to be put on the table they are identifying the problem, whereas what the treaty needs to do is identify solutions which are going to enable us to, uh, uh, to make these materials circular. So the circular economy is a, a, is a key theme. Um, right now, uh, we think it's probably too early to have the circularity discussion in detail. We still need to build understanding and hopefully acceptance uh, that deli delivering a solution is possible and that it's economically possible, but it's also possible to engage the, uh, uh, the, the communities which are, uh, are at risk of being compromised. Uh, it's also possible to in, in solve the, the chemical leakage problems and uh, leakage into the environment problems. And I think that's the key discussions that I'm expecting us to have at this INC. How do you think we're doing in general with uh, recycling of flexible packaging or circularity of flexible packaging? Um, like in the United States, where I'm from, we can't recycle our flexibles curbside. Uh, but just in general, how, how can you talk about how you think we're doing with recycling of flexibles? But it always depends on your frame of reference. If you uh, have to say where, where are we today uh, compared with where you want to be, 
we're a long way from where we need to be. Uh, but uh, if you had to say, well, where are we today compared with five years ago? I'd say we've made huge, uh, huge strides. Uh, flexible packaging materials are collected, sorted and recycled in most European uh, countries today uh, to, some de to a varying degree. Some do a lot of uh, collection sorting and recycling, other countries are only really starting to embrace this at the, at the uh, entry level. Um, these materials are eminently recyclable. Um, a, a, a big transparent polyethylene film, somebody will pay you to come and get that material. Uh, and so, in some ways, you, we've never needed to uh, uh, to recycle to get these materials collected because uh, people, traders, actually actively uh, collect this material and pay for it at the back of store and things like that. The more challenging ones are the consumer flexibles, which have got product soil in them and stuff like that. Uh, but even those these days are increasingly uh, recycled. Uh, we did some, some uh, research lately in four different countries that shows that over 60% of the consumer flexible packaging is already monomaterial. If it's monomaterial, it's probably mono PE or mono PP or mono paper. We have recycling streams for all of those things. So uh, uh, we now have the data, uh, but we also know that it's actually happening increasingly throughout Europe. But it needs to happen everywhere. Just to focus uh, a little bit of the scope of the flexible packaging industry, I mean, in your filings to, to the UN, you talk about how flexibles are about half of the Europeans, half of the food packaging in Europe, and about 80% of that flexible packaging is plastic-based. So it's that makes it pretty clear why it's important for C-Flex to be here. Um, kind of following on your points a minute ago, um, to what extent is the economics of recycling this packaging balanced or unbalanced? You know, there was a pre-conference event a few days ago uh, where a representative from Unilever, for example, um, talked about how, as they see it, the unchecked, their words, production of virgin resin um, contributes to an economically unbalanced situation regarding uh, recycling of plastics, economics of refill systems, things like that. Um, is that a fair point? I, I wouldn't like to disagree with it uh, because the production of virgin resin is demand-driven and uh, whilst there's insufficient uh, recycled materials uh, at, the, at the right quality available, yeah, it's uh, not realistic to expect the producers of virgin resin to limit supply. I think the challenge for industry, including big brand owners uh, uh, in which Unilever is one of them, uh, is to help uh, realize the availability of, uh, through EPR schemes, of uh, recyclates in the right quantities and at the right qualities so that uh, these replace the need uh, for virgin materials. Uh, now a lot of these uh, applications, as you indicated, are, are food contact applications. Mechanical recycling of uh, polyethylene and polypropylene films at this point in time doesn't meet the, uh, the, the food contact regulations uh, in Europe uh, or many other countries. Uh, so the only string to our bow that we have at this point in time is chemical recycling. So we are actively working to commercialize these te technologies at scale 
because it's the only way that the uh, big brand owners who are putting these uh, materials onto the market in, in quantities can actually get access to recyclers of the right quality. Um, just to add, I, I, to give the bigger picture, so packaging plastics are about 45% of the overall plastics placed onto the market annually, and uh, about half of those uh, packaging plastic plastics are uh, flexible packaging. So uh, uh, it's you to meet the, the, the legislative targets in Europe, uh, it's not realistic to meet them without collecting, sorting, and recycling flexible packaging materials. Are you paying particular attention to how the treaty might treat chemical recycling? Yes, and there's some alarming uh, bells going out being referred to as the, a dangerous technology. Um, and I mean, it's a fair point uh, when anything comes out. I think the automobile was referred to as a, a dangerous technology when there were only horse and carts on the road. Uh, but it might be dangerous technology, but uh, we're building understanding. We know it can be managed. Uh, um, but more importantly, we don't have another solution. Uh, so we need chemical recycling uh, unless there was a silver bullet that said that uh, uh, mechanical recycling can do it. Now we know from experience that uh, that's unlikely uh, to get uh, food grade quality of polyolefin materials anytime soon and particularly for, uh, uh, for flexible packaging uh, applications simply because there's, uh, there's not much material in the system. Yeah, it certainly seems like um, chemical recycling will be a topic of intense discussion uh, this week here in Paris. Um, Graham, could you take us inside the room a little bit, so to speak? Uh, I mean, we are talking right here just at the very beginning of the negotiations, so perhaps we can't go quite inside the room, but um, uh, I imagine you're going to be meeting with industry colleagues, meeting with government delegations. Um, could you talk a little bit about what your expectations are for the week or what will happen here this week? Well, it's uh, a little bit like Pandora's box. Uh, we, it's very difficult to tell how this is going to play out, uh, particularly given the organizational circumstances. But um, really, from my perspective, I think what industry needs to be doing here is not talking to itself, but by talking to uh, the, the government delegations, uh, putting the facts on the table, helping to build confidence that uh, we can resolve this, uh, that uh, this is, we have all the pieces of the puzzle on the table. Uh, we know what they cost. Uh, this is not new technology. This is uh, something that they can implement tomorrow. Um, uh, so I think that's, it's really about opening the door so that uh, between INC2 and INC3, so that we can continue this dialogue and, and build understanding as to what's needed to make these materials circular. To what extent have the various treaty documents, and there have been option papers and things like that, to what extent have they addressed flexible packaging, or is it more of a blank slate at this point? I, I don't think it's actually referred to specifically, thank, thankfully, in uh, any of the uh, options papers, uh, but uh, we are aware that uh, flexible packaging, given that it's very lightweight, uh, it has uh, in the past tended to be multi-material. That's thankfully uh, uh, reducing now with the uh, adoption of design guidelines. Um, but it, it's the one that's the most challenging to get the economics to work effectively without the support of EPR. 
Uh, it's just a, a function of uh, it's more economically attractive to recycle a heavy laundry bottle uh, made out of polypropylene or polyethylene uh, compared to a, a, a pouch which maybe has the same quantity of material in it, the uh, same quantity of product in it, but uh, has probably uh, one fifth of the material. Uh, so from a recycler's perspective, it's about how much material is in the pack versus the uh, potential product remains uh, and the difficulties in recycling those materials. Last year, CFLEX introduced your own design guidelines, and one of the key factors there was monomaterials. Um, and you just mentioned material product design and some of those economic issues. Maybe this is a good point to end on, but um, what role do you think that those design guides or design guides in general should play in the treaty? I think they have a very important role as one of the pieces of the puzzle. Uh, the circular economy is a multi-piece puzzle, and design is a key piece, DAC EPR. Um, but you also have the, uh, the recycling pathways that you need, you have the sorting to feed the recycling pathways and the collection systems and stuff. So there's a, it's a multi-piece puzzle. Um, the design guidelines show you what's possible and how to do it correctly uh, and uh, at the lowest cost. Uh, so adoption of those is, is absolutely key uh, and there should be no reason why we need to have different design guidelines in different parts of the world for essentially the same packaging. So it should be a, uh, uh, an easy win. Um, however, we have still in Europe lots of discussions on uh, what the design guidelines are uh, and to harmonize them. And this is ha currently happening in the, uh, the SEN standardization process, which ideally would become an ISO process, which would be globally uh, relevant then. Okay, well that seems like a good place to end this discussion on. Graham, thank you very much for joining us and giving us uh, a lot of insight into how the flexible packaging industry sees the uh, Global Plastics Treaty. Thank you very much. This has been a Plastics News production. For more on the Global Plastics Treaty and other stories on plastics public policy matters, visit us at plasticsnews.com. And thanks for listening.